could choir. Numbers 12 is where we're reading this morning, the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, the fifth book of Moses, Numbers 12. We're going to read verses 1 and 2 to launch us into the story of Miriam. I want to add my invitation to that which uh, Judd offered a few moments ago, it, to be here next week uh, to meet the, the candidate, to worship with the candidate for our music, our, our uh, minister of worship and music. I was, before we read the scripture, I was officiating a, a football game several years ago on a Saturday morning. It was the little guys, the Pee Wee League. And um, there was a moment in the game, big exciting moment where they handed the ball off to a, one of the little running backs and he broke a couple of tackles and ran, must have run for 50 yards for a touchdown. The fans were cheering. If I don't remember there being cheerleaders, but there almost always were. Probably the cheerleaders were cheering and Everybody on his side of the field was excited, but I noticed uh, either during or right after the play, I noticed that the coach, one of the coaches was, was dealing with a little player who was upset, and so during a break following that, I asked the coach, what was, what was the problem with the little boy? The little boy was crying, and, and the coach said he was crying because one of the other players, and not him, had scored, had scored the touchdown, and but now before we, before we think too badly about that little fellow, let's admit that there's probably, there's probably a place deep down inside most of us who knows how he feels, who maybe is a little bit resentful of the success of certain people, maybe, who, maybe there's, a deep, there's a part somewhere deep in us that is maybe jealous. There's an interesting book, at least interesting to me, about the potential for jealousy among ministers. It's titled Ambition in Ministry by a Methodist, Robert Schnees. And he, he must have been at that same ball game because he, here's what he says in that book. Football players cheer for other players on their team and want to win the championship. On the other hand, every football player dreams of scoring the game-winning touchdown. I know what it's like for that little guy on the sideline. I know what that feeling is to watch somebody else score and be glad that for the score, but, but a little bit wishing it had been me who had scored the touchdown. Do you know that feeling? Miriam, sister of Moses, knew that feeling. Let's read about that in Numbers 12, 1 and 2. Miriam and Aaron, Moses' sister and brother, began to talk against Moses, began to complain against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Let's back up a few years. The Pharaoh had... Um, looked around at the Hebrew population, although they were enslaved, they were great in number, and he knew that if they were ever to organize, although they were slaves, if they were ever to organize, there were so many of them that they would be a threat to his rule. And so he decided to curtail the growth of the Hebrew people and coldly decided a good strategy for that would be to slaughter all the baby Hebrew boys. Well, Moses was one of those baby Hebrew boys. Jochebed, his mother, uh, to avoid his being killed, hid him down in the Nile River in a basket. 
where he was found, ironically, and if I can pull over just for a moment and say, I believe some of God's best work is disguised as irony. But that's a whole nother sermon. Let's back to the story. Pharaoh's daughter found Moses, this Hebrew baby boy, in the basket on the Nile. Miriam, his big sister, was watching from the bushes. Pharaoh's daughter said, oh, it's one of the Hebrew babies. Ain't he cute? And she said, you know, said to her slave, let's take him home. Well, Miriam saw an opportunity. So Miriam stepped out from the bushes, and by the, by the way, the baby was crying, and she said, uh, you know, the baby sounds hungry. Uh, you may need some help with the baby. Would you like for me to find a Hebrew mother uh, to take care of him? And it dawned on Pharaoh's daughter that the idea of having a baby around was probably more attractive than actually taking care of a baby. And so she said, that's a Jim Dandy idea. Jim Dandy, that's an ancient Hebrew phrase, by the way. She said, that's a Jim Dandy idea. You find me a Hebrew mother to take care of this baby boy, and I'll take him home. And Miriam ran home. Can't you imagine her running in the house out of breath? Mom, you're not going to believe it, but Pharaoh's daughter, yes, the daughter of Pharaoh, found Moses, and you're not going to believe This is the best part. She wants you to come and be his nursemaid. And so Moses grew up in the palace, at least for the first few years, with his mother as his nanny. Of course, then... Years and years later, he would lead the Hebrew people out of their slavery in Egypt. And this is where Miriam comes back into the story. She's been absent for several years, but now she steps back onto the pages of Bible history, and and she and her two brothers, Miriam and Aaron and Moses, lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. Yes, Moses gets the credit, and he he was the chief leader But in Micah 6, 4, years and years later, God would look back and he would say to his people, I sent you, I took you out of Egypt with Aaron and Moses and Miriam. Miriam was a member of the executive leadership team. We don't need to miss that. She was a leader. Exodus 15, 2 says, speaks of Miriam the prophetess, or as we would say, Miriam the preacher. Let's not miss that Miriam was a leader recognized by her people as one who spoke on behalf of God himself. So now with this, these, these, these three siblings at the forefront, the, the Hebrew people escaped from Egypt, crossed the Red Sea on dry land, and once they're on the other side of the sea and, and the Egyptian army has been swept away by the sea behind them, Miriam gets out her timbrel. You know what a timbrel is? It's essentially a tambourine. If I ever play in the orchestra, David, it'll be a timbrel. That's what I want, that's what I want to play. And the Bible says that the other ladies got their timbrels out. An all tambourine band. And they, they sang this great song. Here's, part of, here's one of the quotes from the song. From Exodus 15, sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. Miriam knew the importance of that which would be written hundreds of years later in 1 Corinthians 10, which says, all that you do, do for the glory of God. She knew that, but eventually she forgot that. For years, Miriam was happy to be Moses' big sister, 
the wind beneath his wings. For years, Miriam and Aaron were content to, to be in the wings with Moses' center stage. For years, Miriam and Aaron were content to be in the shadows with Moses in the spotlight. For years, Miriam and Aaron were content to be on the sideline cheering while Moses made all the touchdowns. But eventually, that grew old. And they got tired of, of Moses getting all the credit. And that's what we read about in, in Numbers 12. First, they began to complain about Moses' wife. They began to tell folks, can you believe he married a Cushite? But the thing is, the thing was not the thing. That's not what they were really upset about. You know, sometimes we criticize people for one thing because if people really knew why we, were, why we didn't like them, we would sound petty. I, I got on a plane once... Uh, sat down next to a, a well-dressed man. This was back when uh, you all were flying, flying me down once a week and I was flying around and I often got bumped up to first class. Well, I sat down. I looked like a, a newcomer, but I sat down with a guy who looked like he'd been there before, well-dressed. He introduced himself, asked what I did. I asked what he did. And, and his job, he said, mine is not a happy job. He's an attorney who flies around and helps people settle estate frictions or conflicts. And my hunch is he only goes if it's a big estate. So when either mom or dad has died, the last one has died, and the siblings are arguing over who gets what, that's when he gets called in. But what he said that was so interesting to me was that if they're arguing over the, the, you know, the place settings or the, what do you call that? The dishes, whatever you call it, a big name, fancy name. But all the dishes in the, it's really not about the dishes. It's always about something else. He said, for example, two sisters would be arguing over the silverware. When it's really not over the silverware. One of them will be thinking, he said, and this was the example he used. You stole my boyfriend when we were in high school, but you ain't getting the silverware. <laughs> See, they, they're not really arguing over the silverware. Something far deeper. This is something that happened a long time ago. So Miriam and Aaron, they, they complain about his wife. It really is not about his wife. The next verse we read... They say, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? They asked, hasn't he also spoken through us? How come nobody listens to us? Ah, now we know why they were criticizing him. They were jealous. And then they tried to pull Aaron or Moses back down to their level. I talked once about the crabs in a barrel mentality. You know, they say that if crabs are in a barrel and one tries to get out, the others will try to use their claws to bring him back down. So Miriam and Aaron tried to bring Moses back down to their level. And, and the last phrase of the verse, we, uh, verse 2 said, and God heard them. So he called them to a meeting. He called Moses and Miriam and Aaron to a meeting. He showed up shrouded by a cloud. And he let them know that Moses was his choice to be the lead leader. And a fine leader he is, Moses said, or God said. 
And when the, when, the, when the cloud dissipated, there stood Miriam, white as a ghost. But not because she was scared. She had leprosy. Now, Carrie and I worked at a little church in Nigeria in the middle of a leper colony. We, we know what the white skin is like. We've seen those spots that cover lepers' bodies. There she stood, white with leprosy. Now, it was a temporary thing, but why did God give her leprosy? Well, because that kind of arrogant rebelliousness would have spread like a cancer had he not addressed it, so he met it head on. She was a, a member of the executive leadership team. If she had been defiant, it would have grown, it would have spread, and so God addressed it. It was temporary, but he addressed it. But Travis, this is 2022. I, I'm not going to get leprosy if I'm jealous. That's true. Leprosy won't mess with your, excuse me, cancer, excuse me, jealousy. Jealousy won't mess with your skin, but it'll mess with your head. Jealousy make you miserable. Of all people, jealous types are most unhappy. Jealousy will ruin relationships. Jealousy will, jealousy will rob you of the joy of somebody else's success. You know, the Bible says, in Romans 12, that we're to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. It's easy to weep with those who weep. Empathy is easier than magnanimity. It's easier to weep with somebody than it is to be happy for them, especially if they have succeeded in ways that we have not. Jealousy will rob you of the joy of somebody else's success. Jealousy won't mess with your skin. It'll mess with your head. Lots of Biblical examples of that. The elder brother, remember him, missed a great party because he was jealous of his father's affection toward his prodigal younger brother. Saul lost his entire kingdom because of his jealousy over David. In that story of Esther, Haman was so jealous of Mordecai, he built gallows to hang Mordecai on. And in one of those most ironic twists to any story in history, Haman Jealous Haman was hanged on the same gallows he had built for Mordecai. And do you know when the word sin is first used in the Bible? It's not with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was sin. Adam and Eve, when they disobeyed, it was sin, of course. But the first time the word is used is in Genesis 4, when God says to Cain, sin is crouching at your door. It is the sin of jealousy. Jealousy, which of course led Cain to to murder his, his brother. Jealousy won't mess with your skin, but it'll mess with your head. Let's get back to Miriam. She died at Kadesh in the wilderness. Didn't, like Moses, was, was not able to, to enter the land of promise, the land of Canaan. We know her as a leader. She's remembered as a prophetess. She's forever memorialized by that wonderful song she led. But she is also known as a, as a jealous sister. Our son Landon was a baseball player and a pretty good baseball player. In his uh, sophomore and junior years in Mount Washington, Kentucky, he was on the starting lineup, in the starting lineup. And, and then, um, then we moved the summer before his senior year to Richmond, Virginia. And yes, I know we're terrible parents for moving him the summer before his senior year, but he was all up for that and looking forward to baseball season, but he didn't, 
He didn't make the starting lineup in Richmond. He was all district one year, all dugout the next year, and, and yet I was really proud of him. I, I remember watching him during games, cheering uh, for his teammates out on the field. I can still see him standing there with his hands in the, in the chain link fence from the dugout, yelling like crazy for those guys out there when he was in here in the dugout. I was really proud and I was a little ashamed because I'm not sure I, I would have done that. In fact, when I was in the 10th grade, I had played football since I was in the 6th grade and when I was younger, I was bigger than everybody else, but then everybody, I, I was slower and less athletic, but I was bigger. And then when they got bigger than I, about the ninth and 10th grade, being slow and not very athletic didn't help much. And so I, I was riding the pine. I was on the bench. I was not in the starting lineup anymore. And I made up an excuse and I quit. I know what it's like to be on the sideline watching somebody else make touchdowns. I, I kind of know what Miriam felt like. It was a weakness I struggled with in the 10th grade and about which I still have to be vigilant. But I have found that when I, when I choose to cheer for somebody else, when I choose to support somebody else, when I choose to be content in the shadows, there's a great peace that comes from that. A great sense of joy that comes from that when I do choose to cheer from the sidelines. So what is the, what is the remedy for jealousy? Well, uh, John Ortberg said it among his Hasidic Jews, Hasidic Jews, it's a, a, a conservative sect of Judaism, they say everybody ought to have a coat with two pockets. In one coat, there, is a, there should be a note from God that reads, You are but one grain of sand among millions of grains of sand on earth. You just you go to the beach, you're just one grain of sand. In the other pocket should be a note from God that says, I created the universe just for you. Romans 12 says, think sensibly of yourself. We might put it like this. Don't, um, don't pat yourself on the back, but also don't beat yourself up. Neither place yourself on a pedestal, nor throw yourself under the bus. Neither puff yourself up, nor put yourself down. Just be you. And when I say you be you, I don't mean just do whatever you want. I mean you be the, the who that God created you to be. And be the best who that God created you to be. And then just, just enjoy it. We've come to the end of this series on the faith of our fathers and mothers. We've talked about Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and now Miriam.
<clears throat> so when I got through, I began to look for a common theme, and I think I, I think I found it. All these spiritual heroes of ours were, they were not just ordinary. They were flawed. They were imperfect, flawed people whom God used for extraordinary purpose. Every one of them. Imperfect, flawed people whom God used for extraordinary purpose. And I think maybe the most important quote from these seven messages is the quote that um, I used in talking about Jacob when I said, God has hit some mighty good licks with some awful crooked sticks. And I should have looked back to see who said that. It weren't me, but I wish it had been me because I like that. God has hit some mighty good licks with some awful crooked sticks. Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and even jealous Miriam. And the good news is he can, he can hit some good licks with imperfect, flawed people like you and me too. <laughs>